ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 12. Matthew, chapter 12. We're going through the book of Matthew, and um, we're starting a new little kind of little mini-series called Who is the Mole? It comes from a TV show that's on a network. I, I don't know if it's still on or not, and I'm probably like two years old with this, but um, I was just, while I was reading through uh, Matthew, I came up with this idea of these moles that are in our lives. These things that are underneath the surface, surface that destroy what God is doing. And so how do we, how do I in my life get rid of these things that, how do I first find them and how do I eradicate the plot that God has given me in my life the kingdom that he has bestowed upon me, how do I get rid of these moles that may, may look great on the outside, but underneath are tunnels and all this different destruction? So what I wanted to do this morning was to give us a little education about moles. I love the Nature Channel and the Discovery Channel and the Science Channel and whatever channel is giving me stuff that I think I'm learning that I forget the next day. I love those because it gives me the... Uh, the idea that I'm somehow getting smarter, even though I never do. So I'm going to show you guys a little video from the Nature Channel that gives us a little insight into these moles. Let me tell you something. When I'm done with the sermon, you guys won't be going, oh, they're the cutest things. These things are nasty. I don't even know how any of you can find that cute. That's gross. Those nasty claws and all that. Ugh. Okay. Anyway. The whole point wasn't that you'd be enamored with the mole, is that you'd fear it, okay? It was awesome how the guy picks it up. and Did you see how excited they were? Oh, he says, nice catch. Oh, they got caught. Oh, fantastic. And they're studying these moles. We have uh, moles at our house. Uh, we live next to this field, and um, uh, in our front yard when we first got there was this big hill that this mole had made you know and so i'm thinking how do we kill the mole i really wanted to kill that cute furry little animal and they're all over the park by our house and so if i'm kicking the soccer ball with jesse or doing whatever there are these mounds and if the if the lawnmower runs over the mounds it clears the mounds and there's still this little hole where you put your foot in there and break your ankle or do whatever so it's all for the, it's not because I'm a mean person. It's for safety reasons that I want to kill them all. This is where we find Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. What I want to talk about, moles are blind and they don't really speak too much. They squeak a little bit, especially... No, I'm just kidding. They speak... <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just playing around. They squeak. They squeak a little bit, right? But they're blind and they're mute, essentially. They, don't, they communicate with that little nasty thing. That, you know, that, that was just the star nose mole, this one. He, this one doesn't have... His eyes are completely covered with skin and fur. If you peel it back, he's got tiny little rudimentary eyes, but they're, but they're hardly anything. Some moles don't have any eyes at all. It's just completely been covered up with uh, fur because they live in the darkness. They're blind. So I want to talk about different kinds of moles. There's another mole that, that the, the uh, TV shows about, about some guy who gets in with 12 people and he goes like covert operations and he, everything about him is actually for the opposite of what they want to do. All he's interested is in gathering information and sabotaging the team until he's the last person or she. 
Sorry, men. I didn't mean to get on you like that. Right? Judas was kind of like a mole. Okay? For Jesus. So let's look at... uh, Three things real briefly on the scripture, and then we're going to look at the key verse, which is in 20, uh, 28. But I want to go over these three kind of ways to respond uh, to the kingdom of God. The first is disillusion, kind of a blindness. Now, look what happens here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. And if, if you uh, have your Bibles, if you split the Bible open right down the middle and you go to the right, you'll hit Matthew about halfway through what's left. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? What's happening right now is the people around Jesus are beginning to have their eyes open that there's another, that this might be the Messiah. Now they're wrong about the kingdom, but that's not the point. The point is that Jesus, through how, how the Holy Spirit's moving through him, he's bringing restoration to the physical world and their eyes, their spiritual eyes are beginning to be opened. And so the first part of this idea of a mold in our life is some area that we might, that we might be blind in. We don't even know. You know, it's, it's like we just go, man, I just don't. This, there's one key of my life that's just not right. I don't understand it. Not for a show of hands, but is there anyone here like that? Everything's going fine, but there's just this one area that's just kind of nagging at you and you're not figuring out what it is. God wants to reveal that to you. That's spiritual blindness. Okay. Now you say, oh, I'm blind. If you're blind, how do you know you're blind? Well, in that area of life, you're bumping into things. (laughs) Okay. You can't, there's no clarity. There's no vision. And so this is where uh, this guy physically um, Jesus heals this guy. And all through scripture, Jesus is talking about this idea of being blind. Do you remember when John the Baptist said, are, are you the one or should we look for someone else? John the Baptist was in prison. He wants to find out, did I just waste my whole life on trying to, trying to you know, proclaim your kingdom? Are you really it? You know, It doesn't matter how long you've known Jesus, me never have. We go through times where we're like, man, if this is wrong... Paul said, I'm the one most to be pitied, right? And so uh, he, he says, uh, th- so he says, are you the one or someone else? And Jesus says, the blind receive sight and the lame walk and lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised. Okay, these are all physical things that Jesus is doing. And then he says, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That statement, Jesus begins to tie in these two kingdoms, the physical and the spiritual. Five times in Matthew 23, I can't, when we get to Matthew 23, Jesus is going off on the Pharisees. He is like just going after them. He knows this is the time for his death and he's just like letting it all go. And five times he calls them blind. They're blind. He says, you blind guides, you blind men, you blind Pharisees. He's not talking about them physically being blinded. He is now fully into the spiritual part of what he's bringing with the kingdom of God. Look at Luke. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. This is all spiritual stuff right here that Jesus is talking about. Yes, he healed the blind. But if you look at in context with all this gospel to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set free those who are oppressed and uh, recovery of sight to the blind. Those 
or spiritually blind. And so there's this first section of mole that is kind of just blind areas in our life. They're just areas that we're missing the kingdom of God. And we all have them. I have them. I have some I don't even know about yet. And, and when, as the Lord reveals it, you go, man, how did I not see that? Have you ever had that? You're either hearing a sermon or you're reading the word or you're kind of driving down the road and you just go, all of a sudden, man, how did I not see that, that that's true about me all this time? And then you go back and you go, oh man, look at all the damage I just did by not knowing that. Right? The Lord's constantly revealing us areas that, that we are uh, blind. Now, the, their eyes begin to open up. One time, uh, Jesus went to the Pharisees and he was talking. And this is what he said to them. He said, Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Is he talking about physical blindness? Did Jesus blind anybody physically? Did they ever walk up to, you know, get him right in the eye? Ah, I can't see. That's right. I'm bringing blind to those who can see. Right? No, this is talking about spiritually. Now, listen, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him. And they said this, what, are we blind too? Jesus is like, yes, (laughs) you are. And here's what Jesus says. I I wish I, I, I don't know why I didn't put this down. It's the crux of what's going on. Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. Okay, pay attention. So you're like, what? Doesn't make sense. But now that you claim you can see your guilt remains. The problem with the Pharisees were not that they were blind. The problem in our, in our lives is not that we're blind in areas. We're all blind in areas. It's when we claim, oh yeah, no, I got that all figured out. That's the danger. That's the danger. When we think, we see. When we don't come to God with a sense of, man, I might be missing something. Okay? So we have these people who are disillusioned. They're the blind mole that's just going around trying to see. The second thing we see as we move on is opposition. Now, these people are blind, but they're also very destructive. Okay, and this is where the Pharisees are at this time. So he heals this guy who's blind and deaf, uh, blind and mute so that he can see and talk. And now the people say, man, this might be the guy. Talking about a physical kingdom, but they still say this might be the guy. Is my mic cutting out? Yeah, I don't know if I'm how I am on batteries, but no, I'm good. Sorry. Okay. Thank you. Uh. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Now, when we get to a word like this fellow, okay, in the Bible, we have to stop and go on. Are they in England right now when they talk? They, they, yeah, they weren't saying like um, uh, that this fellow drives out demons. Okay. (laughs) It's not like. A bunch of English people, real proper English people with crooked teeth uh, are talking. It's that they, it, it's not this fellow. In the, in the Greek, it means this nobody. That's what it means, okay? So don't look like the Pharisees are super polite, okay? That's not what, that's not what it was. It means this nobody, okay? They're in opposition to where Jesus is. And then Jesus goes into this rebuttal. Now, I want us to understand something very clearly because this is really cool. In Mark... It talks about this story and Jesus is inside the house and the Pharisees are outside the house. So it says in our in Matthew that the Pharisees say it's by uh, the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow, this nobody casts out demons. Jesus is inside the house. And so in ours, it says Jesus knew their thoughts. 
So he didn't actually hear them say that. He's in the house and he's like, huh, I think I'm going to go set that straight. Goes outside and this is what he says. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Now, what's Jesus saying here? Well, in the New Testament, the Pharisees had exorcisms and they were very, very ineffective. Okay, now for some times they could muster up kind of a little exorcism or whatever. Jesus, when he cast out a demon, it was right then instantaneously perfectly. So what Jesus is saying is, look, if I do it great, right, just because I'm good at it, (laughs) doesn't mean it doesn't make any sense that I'd be good at destroying the very kingdom you say I get my power from. But why don't you go to your people and ask them how they do it? Because they're going to tell you we're not very good at it and they're going to be your judge because you're going to realize this guy really knows what he's doing. So they, they say it to these people to try and poison them. And all of a sudden Jesus comes out and goes, what, what was that, guys? You said I don't have the power? Answer this question. OK, this is where we are. Then he says this. But if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. We have been talking for months and months and months about the kingdom. And Jesus opens up this, their eyes or attempts to open up their eyes to. I am talking about a spiritual kingdom. The spirit of God, if it's by the power of the spirit of God, I do these things, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That spiritual kingdom. And this is what we pray for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he's got this opposition to himself. Okay. Then he goes on. He gives another argument. He says, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, is Jesus teaching you how to break into your neighbor's house and get his DVD player? No. Okay. We have to look in the context of what Jesus is saying. Who's the strong man? The strong man is Satan. Okay. Anything the strong man has, he stole. Any possession Satan has, he stole. You understand that? If Satan has any bit of your life, he stole it. Now, you might have left it out (laughs) for him to get easy access to. But Satan doesn't own anything. If you look in Psalms 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. And so what Jesus is saying is, I want my kingdom back. The moles, the little things, the areas in our life that we've either given to Satan or that he's stolen from us through our past or events that happened when we were kids. We had no uh, no way to control that. God wants those back. He wants to what he calls redeem them. He wants to purchase them back. You guys see been watching in the. Orange County Register, there was that lady who had all her jewels stolen because she put them in the trunk of her car and then went on vacation. Uh, Don't do that, by the way, uh, just so you know. Uh, And somebody stole her. uh, It was a half a million dollars. 
<laughs> Papa Ron's like 360,472 and 93 cents. <laughs> right. That's right. You can tell he works in a pawn shop. Okay. Good job, buddy. He already had them all. Those didn't end up at your place, did they? Okay. Papa Ron's a shady character. You got to watch out. I'm playing. We, lo- we love you. I'm just kidding. Okay. Of course I'm kidding. So, so what, what happened? She, she had her jewels stolen, but she wasn't paying attention to them, right? And you say to yourself, well, why didn't she put them in a safe deposit box? Okay. They were in a safe in the trunk of her car. But the point is, in the bank, okay? Before we get... Don't, don't bark out stuff at me. That, that's... I'm very sensitive, okay? Very sensitive guy. Man. Okay. Right? The fact of the matter is if they were in a bank, if they were safe, they couldn't be stolen, okay? So they're in the trunk of her car in a safe or whatever, and it's in there, and they got stolen. And many, many, many times in our life, we have these things that we just leave out on the front porch. We, 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 we act in a way that just basically takes the possessions that God wants to use for his kingdom and we lay them out on the front porch. We say, oh, no, they'll be fine. No one's going to take them. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Listen to what it says here in Titus. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us. To, 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 he, he wants to go into the enemy's house right? Bind him up and get us back areas in our life or us. Okay. To free us from the dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us people he can be proud of energetic and goodness. That's from the message. So there's these, uh, those who are in disillusion, those are in opposition and those who are in outright rejection. Now, rejection isn't even a strong enough word for where we're going now. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. And you go, wow, what is that? There's a lot of discussion about what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Some sects say if you, you know, stop speaking in tongues, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit because that's a spiritual gift or whatever. Think about what's happening here. The the kingdom of God has come. People have witnessed thousands of miracles, literally thousands. John says, if I I think it was John that says, if if I wrote down everything that happened, there would not be enough books to contain what Jesus did. He says that at the end of his book. I hope it's John. Look it up. Okay. He's saying Jesus did all this stuff. The kingdom of God was there. The spirit of God was there. The Holy Spirit was everything he did in his life was directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Pharisees called it satanic. You see what I'm saying? So if you're worried about, man, I don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Well, you won't. If you're worried about it, it's when you say To something of God, you know it, you accept it, and you go, that's of the devil. That is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Okay? And when it happens, you cannot go backwards. And you go, yikes. I'm going to show you something in Hebrews first. Just so you guys are all freaked out now. This is so fun. Okay, let's go. Okay. Okay, Hebrews chapter 6, 4. It is impossible 
That Greek word for impossible, if you break it down, means impossible. Okay? As a matter of fact, later on, it says it is impossible for God to lie. It's the exact same word. So you got a pretty good idea of how impossible it is. Okay? For those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, it's impossible. And you go, man, I, I have a friend. We used to go to church together and then he just fell away. He's never coming back. That's not what it's saying, okay? There is a level you get to, okay, that when you... Get, you know, I know it, I know it, I know it, I know it. You know what? Forget it. I, God, I'm done. Be, when you get to this level, you don't want to come back. That's why it's done. It's kind of like looking at it from this end. You know, we look at it from God's end. He knows exactly what's going on. And he's saying, yeah, there's a time you'll get, you, might, you, you could get to that from my perspective says, no, no, they're never coming back. And there you go. You're done. It's impossible. But I know many people who've come into the church, they've gotten involved, the Lord's been working on their life, and they, we call it backslidden or whatever. That's not the word for falling away here. It's not just you make some mistakes and you're in the doldrums and then you come back and go, Lord, forgive me. And he goes, impossible. Okay? You don't want to come back. You understand? Okay. That's in Hebrews. This is the rejection. This is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And like I said, if you're worried about it, then you're in a good spot. Okay, if, if you're not worried about it, and you're just like, yeah, forget, it. I don't really care. That's where it gets dangerous. Okay, so what do we do? We got these different moles. We've got these different Pharisees that look like everything's going great, but really they're opposed to God's kingdom. We've got these little moles of these people. They're blind and their eyes are going to be open. We have these things in our own life where uh, there's areas in our life where we want to get these things figured out. Let's go ahead and take a look from the key verse in chapter 28. This is where we're going to stay the rest of the time. I just have four points. They're not very well organized from the standpoint of starting with anything or rhyming or anything like that, but they're our four points. Okay. The first one is the kingdom is where the king reigns. Anywhere the king is reigning, that's his kingdom. So it's very easy for us if we want to try and flesh out these moles in our lives where they're doing all this damage is to look in areas. Does the king reign in that area? If not, it's a piece of the kingdom that doesn't belong to God. So what I do, what I had to do this week, because every time you preach something, you have to get your butt kicked and go through it yourself. But what I had to do this week was like, okay, I'm going to take my speech. Does God have reign over my speech? Okay, well, let me think. On Monday, I did this, you know, I, I did, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that subject, he might not have reign over. I'm great talking about this and that, but when we talk about my boss... Well, I don't have a boss anymore. Uh, I do, actually. But uh, no, it's my superintendent. We have a superintendent, so he, he, he can get me in a lot of trouble, right? So let's say, let's say by our superintendent, I, I'm doing great. I'm great. But every time I talk about him, oh, you know what? The problem I have, God does not have reign over that part of my life. The kingdom of God cannot advance, can only advance in my speech that far, and it can go no further. It's a mole, Okay. Or I'm great with my speech until I get around my friends. And then it's, I don't really have that. Wherever God is reigning. Oh, my thought life is great until I start thinking about this. You see what I'm saying? 
As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. Romans six twelve says this. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. See, where the king reigns, that's where he has authority and that's where we obey. So we can't say, oh, no, he, he, he has full reign over that part of my life. I just do whatever I want. But I still say he's king. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom. Right? It says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It has enveloped you. And now you have to decide, am I going to get underneath that authority or not? So, and I have to decide that as well. The kingdom is where the king reigns. Is there a mole in your life, some area that you've not eradicated that thing? It's doing destruction to the kingdom of God. Something, a fantasy that always comes into your mind. If only, if only I got that job. If only he wasn't my husband, right? Okay, right? Right, some fantasy. Because here, here's the thing, the lie... This is a great thing about the kingdom of God. Circumstances are irrelevant in the kingdom of God. Okay? When, when, when fantasy says, oh, if this circumstance were different, I'd have the joy of the kingdom. Right? But it's not true. Anything else? Doubts? Any bitterness? Oh, man, when it, everything's going great. But when it comes to this one guy or this one girl, what they did to me, I'm never letting it go. And that mole just keeps digging. The moles don't stop. They dig 18 feet an hour they can dig. Think about that. In an hour, underneath, just, they're just going all over the place. They never stop. The kingdom is where the king reigns. Secondly, there's no demilitarized zone, a DMZ. What that is, is it's an area between two superpowers or two powers, two kingdoms, where no military activity is allowed. And they do this either by truce or treaty or by some type of... Um, uh, any type of agreement there. Um, and uh, so they, they, uh, some alliance, they just allow this area to be left alone. Well, in our lives, there's no area to be left alone. We've been talking about this uh, for months, about the two kingdoms are at war. A demilitarized zone is when they're, okay, they've settled on some agreement. Okay, here's, a, we're going to leave this space equal and none of us are going to touch it. God says, no, I want that land right there. And I want the land on the other side of it, and I want all the buildings, and I want everything over there. And we say, well, no, this is a demilitarized zone. I'm going to give, I'm, it's real small. It's only this big. The scripture calls this a foothold. It says, don't give Satan even that. There's no demilitarized zone. If it's not God's, it's the enemy's. If it's not the enemy's, it's God's. Okay, there's no such thing. They're right border to border, right next to each other. We have to understand that. Now, remember, we talked about in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to go backwards a little bit. Jesus was saying this from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. He's talking about the violence of the kingdom of God. We talked about being a smashed mouth Christian. We walk up right to the line and Satan says, Woody, and you bam, we're taking this part. Now off we go, right? <laughs> It's forceful men. Then we looked in the New American Standard and it looked like it was the exact opposite. And we thought, I can't believe my Bible anymore. It looks like the opposite. All these different versions. 
It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. And you go, man, those look like two opposites. Which one can I trust? They're both true. The way the Greek is is much greater than the way uh, the, the English language puts this together. It's basically saying the most forceful kingdom is the one that's going to win. The one you are radical about that you say, listen, we are taking it by force. Neutrality is losing. I'm neutral, man. I just don't look. Let's not. We've lost in, in that case. There's no demilitarized zone. The spirit of God comes. So check this out, guys. If there's no demilitarized zone, okay, we're either going, the kingdom's advancing one way or the other. Now, maybe it's like stuck in this just, you know, sometimes we feel like we're just stuck in this rut where it's not going one way or the other. But let me tell you, whichever way it's going, you're going to get the best of that kingdom. If you want to be divisive, if you want to kind of get your own way or whatever, Satan's going to give you his best. If you are getting to a point at your work or in your home where you're like, you know what? I don't, I don't think he deserves me. Satan's going to go, oh, how can I help you, sister? Absolutely. What can I do? Or the way, you know, she just doesn't. If this isn't what I signed up for, you're right. It's not. Come here. Let me give you all the weapons of the warfare that we can. Let's go. Let's let's get some stuff done. This is why it's so dangerous to give him just a foothold. Because he's going to resource us. Satan is going to resource us. If we begin to advance his kingdom, he's going to come behind us and give us an attaboy and tell us we're doing great and nobody understands us. And boy, it's just so sad the way everything's worked out. And you're going to go, yeah, that's right. And Satan's going to give you his best plan to get that affair done. It's going to work out great. Right. And then. Bam, because see, when Satan destroys God's kingdom, he destroys us in the process. That's his goal. He's a liar. He's the destroyer. Okay. On the flip side, (laughs) if we're advancing the kingdom of God, God gives us his best. God supports us. God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. It's all right there, ready to go. He gives us gifts. He gives us the power of his Holy Spirit. He gives us his best. So when we want to advance the kingdom of God, we get his best. And I can tell you his best is many, 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 many times better than Satan's best. Because his best goes on into eternity. Satan's best is only for a short time. Have you ever tried to solve something on your own? You you, you wanted to just say something to that boss or your wife or whatever, and then finally you just say it, and it's just like, uh uh-oh, that was a mistake. That's what the enemy does. Try this on for size. And you're like, honey, I'm home. Right. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, got her. And Satan's like, oh, that was a mistake. What? You gave it to. No, I'm out of here. And just. Right. Check this out. A spiritual battle needs spiritual weapons. Second Corinthians 10, 4 says it this way. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, annihilate, to wipe out strongholds. It's beautiful imagery here. Is there an 
an area where, where in your life it's been a stronghold, God has got the power to absolutely, utterly annihilate that. I've had strongholds in my life that have been annihilated. Praise God. Right? Areas where God has come in and he's just completely annihilated them. But they're spiritual weapons. That sounds kind of freaky, doesn't it? I got spiritual weapons. You know where you know where a lot of these weapons are found? In the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes. It's like this. You go to school and there's a bully there and he's just a jerk. Okay? And he does something and he he, he humiliates you in front of everybody. And you get super mad. And you go, you know what? <clears throat> Tomorrow, I'm going to go into work. Do you guys remember the uh, at school was my analogy. I changed it to work in mid-sentence. You guys remember when the Iraq war started, they had shock and awe, right? And we'd watch on TV. There'd be like a building there. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I mean, it's serious, but I mean, it was just amazing to me that there, there would be a building there and then all of a sudden it would just like, <clears throat> would be gone. Imagine you say, you go into school, I'm going to shock. I'm, the weapons, are, I'm going to bring in poverty of spirit. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come into school with a meekness that just desolates the place. Right? I'm going to go into work tomorrow. And I'm going to bring, I'm just going to walk in there and just bring peace. And that'll show them. That'll show that kingdom. These are the weapons we fight with. It, it's weird, isn't it? It doesn't make any sense. We got poverty in spirit. Imagine you, you come in and you just say, tomorrow, when I get home, I'm going to mourn over my sin and really teach everybody a lesson. Shock and awe them. Blessed are those who mourn. I'm going to bring peace. I'm going to bring meekness. I'm going to bring purity in heart. Tomorrow at work, I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness and just lay the place to waste. (laughs) Those are our weapons. Those are what advance the kingdom of God. And whether you're, wherever you are in your journey with God, if if you're just like, yeah, this Bible's pretty cool, right? Those weapons still work. If you've been a Christian, you've memorized your Bible and you've been, you know, you, know, you got you got a five degrees and all that. It's the same weapons. As a matter of fact, sometimes the person who's just reading their Bible for the first time knows how to use the one of the weapons, hungering and thirst for righteousness, better than the guy who's got five degrees. That's what's so encouraging about the kingdom. We need spiritual weapons. Lastly. We take orders from the Word and the Holy Spirit. The Word is just another name for the Bible, right? We call it the Word of God, okay? And the Holy Spirit is pretty much the same thing. It's an inspired Word of God that inspired writers to write it through the Holy Spirit. But we separate them because we have, uh, we have physical Bibles and the Holy Spirit sounds so spiritual. It says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever wanted the kingdom of God in your life, but didn't really want his will? You say, well, how? No. How dare you? I have. I totally have. 
I've prayed your kingdom come. Uh, this is the way I want to see my life. I, I want to live. And the Lord says, great. My kingdom can come in your life. Here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, no. Just, no, I just wanted the kingdom part, right? When we pray, thy kingdom come, I want, I want my life to forcefully advance the kingdom of God. And God says, oh, okay, well, here's what we're going to do first. Underneath this field is a whole bunch of moles that we have to get rid of. And we go, moles, and we got them in our, oh, he's so cute, he's so great. The Lord says, I want to eradicate them. Then we'll go and advance the kingdom of God. John 6 and 13 says this, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. The Holy Spirit will begin to, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you already this morning. When I said, is there any areas in your life, and that area came to mind, that is the Holy Spirit. We don't come to those things on their own. You say, but I came to it on my own. No. That was the Holy Spirit showing you. Yes, this is the area. The reason it came to your mind so quick is because he's probably been showing you for weeks. Right? That's what he does in my life. Somebody says, hey, is there an area in your life? Yes, there is. Leave me alone. Ah, get it away. Right? Okay, already enough. You know, have you ever had that? Somebody just mentioned something and you're like enough already. And nobody's ever mentioned it before. It's the Holy Spirit's been mentioning it over and over again. This is the beauty of the life of Jesus. Okay, he existed in the form of God. And what he did was he said, I'm going to show humanity what it's like to live completely under the will and energized by the spirit of God. So it says in Philippians that he humbled himself and he took the form of a man kind of limiting his, 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 his power, right? And he, and again, it's a mystery because it's all just beyond us. But he, he came down in the form of man and his, his heavenly father gave him everything to say and everything to do. And he had the will not to do it, but he did it anyway. He obeyed it. And he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. You remember when he was baptized, what happened? The Spirit came down in the form of a dove. Again, freaky stuff. Right? Well, I don't know. We don't know if it was a real dove or if it was just an image of a dove. And an audible voice said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He's going to be empowered by the spirit. and He's going to do what I say. It says, it said, remember, it said, listen to him. So then what happens? He's led by the spirit into the desert to fast. And he does. And he defeats Satan. And that kingdom is advanced. And then it says he began to preach Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. See, everywhere Jesus went, everything he said, everything he did, advanced the kingdom of God. He was God in human form. Everything he thought, every action he did, was as though God were man doing it. And he's our example. And so we... In the same way, cannot think in our lives that we can advance the kingdom of God and walk in disobedience at the same time. It's impossible. In fact, the opposite happens. The kingdom of God shrinks. 